So, um, man, this is an exciting morning uh, because this is the first time where we have uh, streamed our service over to Cozad, the, uh, the preaching portion. So, I just wanted to say, hello, Cozad. We are so glad that you have joined in with us uh, this morning in the 11 o'clock hour. And, uh, and, and I am super excited about what we are trying to accomplish and where we are going. And uh, so those of you in the upper theater, those of you in the lower theater, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining in uh, with us this morning. So every January, we talk about uh, what I would say we kind of have an insider conversation. And we talk about some things that are just kind of for those that would consider themselves inside the church and, uh, and maybe specifically a part of the crossing. And, uh, and the reason we do that uh, is to make sure that every single year we stay on the same page and to make sure that every single year we don't drift um, because this is what happens to, to churches in, 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 in time. They begin to drift and they go from being outward focused to inward focused. So if you've are a part of the crossing for a long time, what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is not going to be anything brand new to you. Um, I don't think there's going to be new information for you if you're in COZAD and you've been a part of the crossing for a long time. Uh, this isn't going to be brand new to you, and your tendency is going to be like, oh, yeah, I heard this one. I can just check out. But I hope that you don't check out because you really need to, to, to hear this it, because as I've gone through it, you know, I've done this every year for, for over a decade, um, and, and as I was going through it, I'm like, man, alive, I mean, I need course correction in this. And so as you hear some things that you're kind of like, man, I need to be sharpened in that, um, that, I hope that you'll take it that way. If you're new to the crossing, if you're in COZAD, you're new to the crossing, this is essential for you. If we have any hope to accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us as a church, the only way that we're going to do that is if we are of the same mind and of the same purpose and all of us pushing, you know, in the same direction. And it's not just a few of us that are trying to accomplish the mission, but all of us together. And, uh, and, and so it's essential if you would say, man, I haven't been a part of the crossing for very long. If you're watching online, if you're in-house, you would say, I'm not a Jesus follower, which... Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I don't, don't believe the Bible, not a Jesus follower, but you find yourself watching or you're in-house, um, I am so glad that you're here. And this is actually a perfect morning for you to be here uh, because you could be kind of like a fly on the wall and listen to an insider conversation. And uh, as we kind of peel back the, the curtain and see what, what's behind the curtain, uh, you're going to get to see all of that. And I hope that you're like, oh, well, they're not really hiding anything behind the curtain. So this is a great opportunity uh, for you to be here. So I'm going to have to, you know, I don't want to start the brand new year going negative uh, by any stretch. And by the end, it won't be, it won't be that uh, but I have to go there to kind of set us up for what we want to talk about uh, this morning. Um, and that is, and I don't think it's probably going to be a surprise to you, uh, that the church in America is dying. 
the church in rural America and the church specifically in rural Nebraska is really dying. In fact, it's on life support. It is critical time. It is the back is against the wall time. And it's kind of interesting as I've done some research around, around this, and specifically in, in, in Nebraska. Um, the University of Nebraska actually uh, did some research around this back in 2013, so 10 years ago, and they wrote an article about it and, and, uh, and did some different polls and different surveys, and, and, uh, and I wanted to share a little bit of what they wrote in this article. Um, but they said a church in the town of Julian, never been to Julian, but a, town in, a church in the town of Julian in southeast Nebraska is dying. Only 14 people came to church last week. The average age of congregants is about 65 years old, so now they're 75. In five to 10 years, Pastor Sandy Street said, the church won't be here. But that gathering of people, however long, whenever that church started, and I would imagine maybe a hundred years ago, and, and, and at the first, I mean, it grew probably, you know, who knows how fast, and then it was vibrant, and it was vibrant, and, and then over time, something happened. And now, they're looking at, you know, not enough of a gathering to where they can even justify gathering. And the place in which they gathered with, they will close those doors. See, it's, it's the story of, of every single church. In fact, um, it's the story of every business. In fact, every organization, every organization, every business, every church, when it starts, it's outward focused. You know, if you're a business, we, we want to provide something for for our community, we want to provide something good for our community and for our customers, and and it's and it's outward focused, and 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 you risk. And when you're a church, we want to bring the message of Jesus to uh, our our nation and to our neighbors. We and 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 you don't have any people, and you don't have any assets. So I mean, you're willing to risk all kinds of things. But over time, when you start to grow and you start to have some people, and you 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 start to have some assets. All of a sudden, you know, your, your willingness to, to, to risk anything becomes, yeah, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't know. And, and there's people, guess what? I don't get any emails from people that aren't a part of this church. Did you get that? <laughs> See, you, you, start, you start the squeaky wheel, you know, starts squeaking. And, and, and so all of a sudden, you're wanting to go over here and grease this zerk and grease that zerk and, and try to keep everybody happy. And, 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 and in so doing, all of a sudden, you go from being outward focused to all of a sudden, it drifts. And it just drifts over time to where all of a sudden, it's inward focused. The UNL poll found that about 60% of rural persons, 65 and older, attend church regularly compared to only 23% of 19 to 29-year-olds. In other words, the next generation isn't coming to church. The next generation isn't, isn't uh, they don't think the church has anything to offer them. The next generation doesn't think the church is relevant. The next generation isn't interested in the church. The next generation doesn't think the church 
really is worth it. And, and here's the thing. The average age now of the rural church is 75. 75. With almost no next generation folks coming in behind. And so in 10 to 15 years, in 10 to 15 years, as, as those folks begin to pass away, there will be no one else gathering, and that church that once had, was a great movement and somewhere along the line lost it and, and stopped moving will no longer be able to gather because there's not going to be enough people to gather, and the place in which they gather in will close their doors. See, and it kind of comes back, it's like, why does this happen, and why is it happening? And I think part of it, and there's probably a lot of reasons, but there's some really big glaring ones that I want to look at, is a, a misunderstanding of what the church is actu actually is and what it's actually supposed to be doing. See, the church is not a location. The church is not a building. The church is not an address. The church is a, a group of people that is accomplishing a specific mission that we don't get to choose ourselves that Jesus gave to us. And Jesus alluded to this in Matthew, and Matthew wrote it down for us. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says to them, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, which I think is really strange because John the Baptist was alive at the same time. Like, that's weird. How does that work? Some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? You, you're, you know what? You're front and center. You're living. You get to see me every day. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And then Jesus, for the first time, mentions the church. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church the Greek word is ekklesia. It means gathering. It means assembly. It means a congregation. It, it means a group of people that are on a, on a mission together. And, and when they're on a mission together, it is a movement. It, it moves. It's not static. It's not, it's not just a group of people that get together and, 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 and meet, but they're not really moving. They're not really accomplishing anything Together, this is something where there's movement to the assembly. There's movement to the congregation. There's movement to the gathering. And upon this statement, upon this rock, this statement that, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, is central. It might be the only thing that many churches have in common. It is the thing that unites us. It is the thing. It is the message that the church specifically has been given, that its primary purpose is to lead people to Jesus. 
in such a way that they would come to believe on their own that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. As, as, as much as the church in rural America and rural Nebraska is dying, and it is, and in many ways, the church is, has its back against the wall. In many ways, it, it, is, it, is, uh, it is it is a, a hard-looking future unless the church really begins to just sit up and say, okay, it's time for us to get after it and move again. But there will always be a remnant the powers of hell cannot conquer it. So why have you know, these churches and why do we find ourselves in, in, in this situation where it's just like so many churches that used to be vibrant aren't vibrant? What, what happened? Well, I think this is a big reason. This isn't the only reason, but this is a big reason for it. It's because we confuse the method and the message. Or worse institutionalize the method. In other words, the church has been given this, this message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And not only that, here's the thing. The church gets to bring Jesus to a world that is asking all kinds of questions and answering them in all the wrong ways. Every single problem that this world faces, Jesus has the answer to. Every problem that we face, Jesus is and has the answer to that. And so when we lead people to Jesus, I mean, all of a sudden, they're in a, they're in a brand new kingdom where there's kindness, where there's gentleness, where there's patience, where there's, where there's long-suffering, where there's, where there's self-control, where there's forgiveness, where there's grace, where there's mercy, where there's forgiveness. And, and, and Jesus comes along and, and makes your life so much better because he makes you better at life. And if, as if that's not enough, he also says, guess what? You get to inherit eternal life. So your eternal life starts right now. And when you die, you just upgrade. And you upgrade for eternity. And you get to spend your eternity with Jesus. So this message that changes the world, and you're sitting among people where they would say, Jesus has changed my world. And so the, the message is incredibly, incredibly important. And for the next generation to think that the church has nothing to offer them. The thing that breaks my heart more than anything else is to see, you know, someone who is struggling, struggling, struggling in life, and they think, you know what, they're at the bottom of, of, of the barrel, and they're just thinking, maybe God has the, the solutions to my problems, and so if, if God has the solution to my problem, if I'm going to connect with God, I need to go to a church to connect with him, and they go to a church that is completely irrelevant. And they think, and they walk away from the church and think, maybe God isn't the answer. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. We confuse the method. 
the method is just simply how are we going to deliver this message to a culture? So every single generation has to ask the question, what's the most efficient, what's the best method for us to deliver this unbelievably important, most important message on the planet to this culture? Every generation. And the method changes. But here's the rub, and here's where you know, some churches just have, have, have had a really hard time, and, and I'll explain why, and it makes sense why there's been such a hard time, because church was done basically the same way for 100 to 150 years. The same method worked for a long, long, long time, and when I was growing up in the 80s, you know, the culture was changing rapidly, but the church still had this old method of delivering the message, and, 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 and there was like internal conflict in the church because it was kind of like, we want to engage this culture, but oh, man, we can't, I mean, we can't, cha- we can't change the way that we've always done things. And, and so the culture in the 60s started changing, and I mean, it's escalated ever since. And the church has struggled and struggled and struggled. And in the 80s, as I was growing up, I mean, there was these internal battles inside the church of we've got to change the method. But then there was people that were like, no, and they actually... The, the, the method and the message had been the same for so long that they began to integrate both of them. And so they felt like if you, st- if you start messing with the method, you're actually messing with the message. And don't ever change the message, which I would say absolutely don't ever change the message. The message doesn't change that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. But the method has to change. And if it doesn't, there will come a point in time when that gathering will no longer gather. And that's exactly where we find ourselves. And so, so many of the churches in rural Nebraska, I mean, they're over 100 years old. And so, I, I mean, I understand how this happens. We're only 16 going on 17. We're teenagers. <laughs> Woohoo! Right? So, but here's the thing. The, the, the leadership team, the staff, myself, we fight and fight and fight and fight to keep us outward focused. I guarantee you, it would have been really easy. And we, by 16, 17 years old, we would have already began to switch. In fact, in some ways, I feel like I'm just fighting against it. Because it just drifts that way. It's the natural drift of every organization to become insider-focused. And so these churches that are over 100 years old, I get it. And you know what? Some denominations, they institutionalize the how. They institutionalize the method. I mean, I talk to pastors that are part of some denominations where they're just like, they're just banging their head against the wall because they've been told this is how you're going to do it and there is no chance for change. So our mission is to see people meet, follow, and love Jesus. And, and the leadership, the you know, other pastors, the staff, myself, there's someone on this stage every single week that says this. And my fear is that we have said it so much that it just goes through one ear and out the other. And maybe we, we, we know this. In fact, you could recite it. 
which I think is really good, but we don't own it. In other words, we have it in our head, but we don't have it here in our heart. We don't actually ask the question, are we on a mission? Am I actually on a mission? Is it, are we just, do we just say this? Or are we actually doing something? Are we just going through the motions of this and just kind of saying this? Or actually, are we actually doing something about it? Because if, if we're just saying it and we're going through the motions of it, but we're not actually doing it, that's how we become insider-focused and we change from actually accomplishing our mission. See, we will do anything short of sin to reach people for Christ. Now, we're not going to sin, but if we're not reaching people for Christ, then everything's on the table. The how, the method of, of how we're trying to deliver this message to this culture, everything's on the table. Let, let, we'll, we'll figure it out. Let's figure out a, 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 an efficient, effective way to deliver the message. We think the message is so important that we're willing to risk it all. We're willing to do whatever it takes to reach the next generation. I love what Erwin McManus says. He says, when, we have forgot, when, have, when have we forgotten that the church doesn't exist for us? We are the church and we exist for the world. See, when we become inward focused, all of a sudden we think the church is for us. I go to church for me. The church is there for me. The church is supposed to serve me. The church is supposed to do things for me. Rather than, no, 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 the church doesn't exist for us. We actually are the church and we exist for the world, here, here's another way to look at it. When we are about him in worship and them in ministry, then he, being Jesus, takes care of us. And only then can we be a healthy church he longs to establish in our communities. When we are all about him in worship, I, I, Jesus, I, I am surrendering all of me to you. I am worshiping you. I am so so grateful for you, and I just surrender it all. Whatever it is you want me to do, the answer is yes before you even ask it. I just lay it all down before you. And when we have that heart of attitude, then we turn and say, how can I minister to you? How can I minister to you? How can I minister to you? When it's not this way, let me word it a different way. When we are about me in worship and me in ministry, then we will never accomplish the mission Jesus sent us on. When we are about me in worship, it's kind of like, <laughs> I don't like that song. Well, that song was too fast. That's way too loud. Why is it dark in here? <sighs> Why did they repeat the chorus twice? I can't believe they, I mean... Where's the, where's the piano and organ? I just want the piano and organ. You know, I, I don't like that. I, I, like I wish they would do these other songs. I like those better. When it's about me and worship and me and ministry, the church is for me. You know, I'm just not being fed. They need to feed me. And you know, Eric, he's, 
He just, I don't know. He just needs to do this and needs to do that. I wish they would do that. They need to do this. If they would do that, I would, you know, I would like it a lot better. I don't like this and I don't like that and I don't like this and I don't like that either. When we are about me and worship and me and ministry, we loses. And we will never accomplish the mission that Jesus has sent us on. When we are more concerned about keeping people happy rather than reaching people who don't know Christ, it's the beginning of the end. If the crossing begins to be more concerned about just keeping the people who are already reached happy rather than reaching, even though it might change some things and it always involves some change in some things, which isn't going to be convenient for some people, and so it's not going to make everybody happy. When we are more concerned about just keeping people happy, it is the beginning of the end of the Crossing Fellowship. And there will come a time when the core people who you know, have taken ownership of this age out and pass away, there will not be a next generation to follow. Jesus' heart is outward. And it's so clear. Jesus makes this so clear. And Luke records it for us in Luke chapter 15. I love this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. That should make us sit up and pay attention. Check this out. Tax collectors. I just said tax collectors. Tax collectors in in that social setting were the lowest of the low. I mean, they were the outcasts of society. They were the hated ones. They were the ones that nobody liked. And notorious sinners. I want to ask Jesus someday, what exactly is a notorious sinner? I mean, is that like an upgrade from a regular sinner? Or what is that? Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Safe to say they were nothing like Jesus. But they often came to listen to him teach. Are you kidding me? Why? People that were nothing like Jesus liked him. And Jesus seemed to like people that were nothing like him. And I think that is an accusation to to the church. Because if we are actually the physical representation of Jesus on this earth, if we are the hands and feet of Jesus on this earth, when people interact with us, they should interact and say, you know what? I like them, that we would interact with people that are nothing like us in such a way that they would walk away and say, I like them, and we would actually like them, but I don't think that's the reputation of the church. The reputation of the church is, you don't belong here. You don't believe like we believe, you don't behave like we behave, and until you do, you are not welcome here. That was not the case with Jesus. This made the Pharisees, check this out, this made the Pharisees, the self-righteous, and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. There you go. So Jesus told them this story. This is so brilliant. Jesus is such a brilliant teacher. You got you to catch this. 
He's got people that, that are far from God and people that think they're close to God, even though they're not as close as they think they are. And, but they know the, the, the Jewish scriptures inside and out. How do you get these two very diverse groups of people to head in the same direction? Is it information? Uh-uh. It's emotion. Jesus uses the, the common emotion of loss to get both of these very diverse groups to head in the same direction. Check this out. If, if a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost... What will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And here's the tax collectors and the Pharisees both shaking their head. Yeah, I think that's, that's what we would do. They hadn't agreed on anything in their entire life, and all of a sudden, they're, they're shaking their head together. Jesus is brilliant. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. If you want to know where God's priority is in this world, it is to see people that are far from God to come into a relationship with him. Yes, he loves those who have, he has a relationship with. Yes, there's rejoicing in heaven when, when we, you know, as Jesus followers, we surrender parts of our life we hadn't surrendered and we're growing in our faith and we're trusting him in ways we haven't trusted him before. There's rejoicing going on in heaven. But it's nothing like when someone who doesn't have that relationship yet enters into that relationship for the first time. There is a party going on in heaven over that. See, and if we have the heart of God, this is what should get us jacked. This should be our focus of going, whoa, if we're missing this, but we're growing in our faith, it's kind of like, well, can you actually grow in your faith and not be doing this? In fact, Vince says it very well. I'm not going to try and pronounce his last name. Are you close to people who are far from God? Because if you're not close to people who are far from God, you're not as close to God as you think you are. We as Christians, we as Jesus followers, over time, begin to insulate ourselves from people who are far from God, and we no longer have any relationships with anyone that doesn't know Jesus. And we think we're close to God, but are we? Because they're the ones that are really on God's heart. Because God's heart is always with people who are far from him. So I want to take a minute and do some inventory, both corporately and personally. And some of these are going to hurt. They they hurt me personally, just just so you know. I've taken some course corrections. So you can... Take pictures of these, hope that you will, and there's some homework I'd love for you to take a picture of so you can get your phone out and distract yourself while I go through these. Are we moving or simply meeting? 
Has, is the crossing continuing to move, or have we given up the movement and we're just content to meet? It's a good question. Are we making a measurable difference in our communities or just conducting services? Are we organized around a mission or are we organized around an antiquated ministry model inherited from a previous generation? And here's the thing. There will come a time when our ministry model is an antiquated ministry model. And will we as the gatekeepers and the leaders be willing to say as the next generation, when we hand the baton of leadership off to them, give them permission to change the model if the model is no longer working to deliver this incredible message to the culture? That's good leadership. And I hope the answer to that is yes for the crossing. Here's some personal ones. If you have found yourself saying this to yourself, that inward focus might be overtaking you. Ah, we've already done this series. There's nothing in it for me. I'm going to check out. Not thinking that there's an entire new group of people that have this, that's brand new content for them. See, it's, it's for me. It's not for them, so I'm, I'm just going to check out. I'm not being fed. Translation, I'm not self-feeding. I complain to my family every Sunday about something I didn't like. I notice someone new but will not acknowledge them or make eye contact. I'm not going to go say hi. (laughs) I'm not interested in serving, inviting, or giving anywhere. In fact, I'd rather stay home and watch online. It's easier. And I'm just into easy and whatever's comfortable. Those might be answers to some phrases that, as a reflection, that I'm inward focused. Or, how about this? Why? Why are we doing a campus in Cozad? Why don't, why don't we just why don't we just stay here? Well, I mean, it's it costs so much money. I mean, we're spending so much money to, to, to do another campus when we we could just keep it here. And and it's so much more complicated. I mean, it's complicated. Why in the world do they want to? I mean, it's just so much easier. Because we are willing to do anything short of sin to reach people for Christ. And if that means we got to spend money doing that, if that means it's more complicated, then that's what it means. So here's some homework that if every single one of us engages in this homework, we will be moving very, very quickly. So here you go. Take your phones out. Take a picture of this because this is what I would love for all of us to do. Invite someone who isn't a Jesus follower into your home between now and Easter. Oh, that's going to be hard for some of you. Make a list of the people God has put on your radar and begin praying for them and opportunities for you to talk with them about spiritual things. Who's God put on your radar? 
Who are two people God is bringing to your mind right now that need Jesus? Right now. Two people. And begin investing in them relationally for the sake of eternity and then invite them to one of our gatherings by the time Easter comes or invite them to our Easter gathering. Crossing. Did you know that there's four to five to six hundred of us? Not on January 1st. Can you imagine? Now, even Hershey math says if every single one of us brought one more person and there was 500 of us, 500 times 2 in Hershey math is still 1,000. Now, do we just want a big church? No. Now, I think we have 307 seats. I think we should put a rear end in every one of them. But that's what a movement looks like. And it's all of us together. So come on. Kozad, got a big, big, big future in front of you. Lots of work to be done. Gothenburg, lots of work to be done. Brady, lots of work to be done. Let's start moving. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have accomplished through your church. And Father, we want, we want to be a church that doesn't stop moving. So I just pray that you would help us, because it's each one of us individually and then us corporately that really has to evaluate and be honest and not deceive ourselves whether we've become inward-focused. And Father, if we have, would you give us the courage to stop? Would you give us the courage to have a different perspective? Would you have us, uh, uh, give us the courage to be intentional in looking? Who, who is it that you are calling me to reach out to? Pray that you would help us corporately to do that, individually to do that. And Father, I pray that 2023, we would get to see the works of God with our very own eyes. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.